The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Before we get into today's conversation, I wanted to take a minute to tell you that Eat for the Planet has partnered with Plant-Based World to launch the Eat for the Future Business Forum, which will take place during the Plant-Based World Conference and Expo, June 2019, at the Javits Convention Center in New York City. The Eat for the Future Business Forum will feature panels, workshops, and talks focused on the shifting food landscape and will explore the opportunities for retailers, food service providers, and brands. We already have an incredible lineup of speakers, including a number of guests I've had on this podcast, with many more to be announced in the coming weeks. This event is unlike any conference out there and is a must-attend for anyone looking to expand their business in the plant-based food space. You can find a link to register for the event in our show notes or go to eftp.co slash event to learn more and use the code EFTP at checkout to get 20% off. Looking forward to meeting you all in person at the Eat for the Future Business Forum. In fact, today's guest will be speaking at the forum and exhibiting at the expo. Now let's talk about who I have on this episode. My guests are Seder Shadell and Mike Wolianski, the founders of No Evil Foods, a very unique North Carolina-based food company that stands out because of their edgy brand, compostable packaging, and most importantly, their wide range of artisanal, chef-driven, texture-rich, nutrient-dense, and delicious plant meats. No Evil's products use simple, organic ingredients that can be recreated in any kitchen if you have the know-how, the ingredients, and of course, a lot of patience. No Evil Food Story is as unique as their brand and products. It is proof that there are many ways to launch and grow a food company. As opposed to launching with millions in venture capital investment, they invested a mere $5,000 of their own savings and started by selling their plant meats at local farmers markets back in 2014. Five years later, they've expanded nationwide and can be found in Walmart, Wegmans, and many smaller grocery stores. In addition, No Evil Foods recently announced that they would be expanding their presence at Whole Foods markets nationwide this spring, adding over 250 new stores, spanning six new regions. They are also moving into their own large, dedicated production facility in North Carolina to manage this increasing demand and distribution. In this conversation, we talk about the No Evil Foods brand, their early inspirations, and how they evolved from their humble DIY beginnings into a real food business. Sedra and Mike also share their thoughts on fundraising and the need to stay authentic to their roots and using their brand as a platform for causes they are passionate about. 
We also explore the cultural shift that's happening within the food industry right now and where No Evil Foods sees themselves fitting into this larger narrative and what kind of impact they hope to have in the years ahead. Sedra and Mike join me for this chat while at the Natural Products Expo in Anaheim, California. Not only were they juggling the stress of being an exhibitor at a big trade show, but they also did this interview along with their three-month-old baby, Artemis, who you will meet during this conversation. I absolutely loved talking to Sedra and Mike. They are just so real and so passionate that you can't help but fall in love with what they're doing and with No Evil Foods. And once you try their products, you'll be hooked as well. I hope you find this as fun and insightful as I did. Sadra and Mike, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Sure. Thanks for having us. Where do we begin? Firstly, I've, um, the reason this conversation took so long to happen is because I was trying really hard to make my way to Asheville yeah. so I could hang out with you guys and um, see where the magic uh, happens for No Evil Foods. But I've been a fan of, um, of your brand and your products since I came across it, before I even met you guys. Um, everything about the... Um, the message behind No Evil Foods, the packaging, the look, the the attitude on Instagram uh, just spoke to me. Um, as a former punk rock kid from a long time ago, mm. uh, it just resonated with me. But there's something about it that just seemed authentic um, in, in a space that is very crowded and um, increasingly driven by... Uh, branding agencies and uh, marketing agencies who, you know, they do their jobs. I'm not saying they're all bad, um, uh, but um, it's good to see something original and authentic and different stand out. So let's start off with um, um, where do the punk rock sensibilities come from? (laughs) Because I think that's your, that's where your DNA is, right? Yeah. 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 Well, it it comes from us. I mean, (laughs) we, uh, both Mike and I, in different ways, grew up in that scene. Um, I used to go to shows and help put on fundraisers um, and book shows. And then Mike played in a band for a number of years and 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 put on shows and and toured. And yeah. And I mean, I think it's when the company started and we started No Evil Foods on a very small scale in Asheville, what we created was created around what felt right to us. Mm -hmm. It's always been like, what is our, a lot of that is what does our gut tell us about like what we want to say, how we want to say it, how we want it to look, and it comes from that. I mean, that's why I think the authenticity comes through because it really is not a targeted strategy mm-hmm. as much as it's what are we going to do that that what we think is going to connect with people and get them excited about what we're doing. Yeah, and I mean, I think for punk for us too isn't it just about the music? It's about mm-hmm. the feeling and the inclusivity and um, creating a space that's safe for people. And um, we wanted to do that with our food, and it's not just for vegans and vegetarians; it's for everybody. And it's mm-hmm. you know, I think for for both of us being kind of awkward kids. Sorry to call you out, Mike. <laughs> 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 um, I think that you know the punk scene made us feel okay about that because that's what it's all about. And I think yeah, that yeah. As, if we can communicate that through our voice to our our audience when it comes to food I think that that's that's pretty cool too that you know it's it's food for everybody and um, it's fun fun you know and it should be yeah. good for you and and do good with it yeah it was, we were talking about this before we started recording but um, uh, and I may have mentioned this before on the podcast but I feel like a lot of um, people who come from the music scene especially punk rock and and just sort of DIY music scene mm-hmm. um, have there's a sense of not only um, creativity that comes in that scene, but it's also about community. 
um, and looking out for each other and also kind of uh, sure. um, questioning oh, yeah. <laughs> really mm -hmm. uh, systems and people in power. And I think... I mean, my, from my background, why, and I started in a, in a, I played in a band a long, long time ago. It really came out of me going to see a band and, and, and realizing that they really sucked. And I was like, I think we can do this better. And so we started a band. Mm -hmm. And so I think that just, it may seem like a really dumb and simple thing, but it's kind of how you guys started. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you thought other companies sucked. <laughs> I won't put words into your mouth, but... Uh, but I'm sure you felt you had something to contribute. Yeah. Um, so think, let's, yeah, yeah, I think it gave us permission. It's mm -hmm. sort of like that, that attitude or that mindset being ingrained in us made us feel that we, we could do it. It enabled us or empowered us to, you know, to not wait for somebody else and to just go out there and kind of um, tread our own path. Right. It yeah. teaches you that it's not a leap to do something yourself. You, yeah. can just, you can just get up and do it. Yeah. And, you know, you start at a farmer's market like we did and then turn around a couple years later and be where we are now in stores all over the country and growing and and you can do that without having permission or or some kind of specific access to something mm -hmm. and i think the community aspect of punk rock too is a big thing that we kind of take and apply to how we approach no evil foods um in that we try to create community around what we're doing so that we don't I guess when we go to like a new city where our product is in on the West Coast or in Colorado or something like that, that we find ways to kind of connect with the community there, you know, whether that's like doing pop-up things at a vegan grocery store or at a brewery, which is things we've done to like launch in new regions to make it feel like the product is connected to people and not just, it's more than something on a shelf. It creates something around it. Yeah, we want yeah. to be everyone's hometown butcher. You know, we could have opened up <laughs> a, a local butcher shop in Asheville, but we only would have been able to reach yeah. so many people by kind of taking our brand out on tour, so to speak, and, <laughs> and launching it in different regions. We're able to become everybody's kind of local band, and, uh, yeah, and, yeah. and I think that that's, that's worked really well for us. Yeah, so let's talk about your uh, farmer's market roots, right? Because... Um, you see, uh, in the last several years, I've seen, uh, you know, there's so many veg fests and farmer's markets all over the country, and that's amazing and good. Um, and you see all kinds of products, people testing things in the kitchen, mm -hmm. printing labels and selling stuff. That's kind of how you both started. Sure. Um, what made you want to even do that? I mean, did you, I know you both worked in food service before. Mm-hmm. But um, were you formulating interesting recipes in your kitchen thinking, um, you know, I can maybe I'll get other people to pay for this? Um, yeah. yeah what, what's made you take the leap? Yeah, I mean, not at first. Um, I think that we got to be a certain age that we started to think about what our lives were going to look like um, and what we wanted to sort of give back. Uh, we were working in restaurants, and it was, it was great. It was a fun lifestyle, but I think it wasn't something we wanted to do long term. And so when we started to um, look into that a little bit, we, we thought about this idea that we'd been making these products at home for a number of years. People loved them. Um, and we said, you know, we, we thought that we were going to have this wonderful work-life balance Oh, hey, Artie. <laughs> Work-life balance of, uh, you know, having a, a big garden and going to farmer's markets and kind of having this relaxed lifestyle. And it, it didn't, <laughs> didn't pan out that way. But, uh, you know, we went to farmer's markets thinking that, you know, maybe no one's going to buy this. We don't really know, but we want to do it because it's important to us and it's important for us to bring healthy food to the community. Yeah. And uh, we sold out the first day unexpectedly, um, made more meats the next week in our little incubator space kitchen. And uh, the next week sold out of that. And it continued in that trajectory. And... Before we knew it, we were on grocery store shelves, um, never had any planning. We had this bootleg uh, black and white 
printer label um, and that everybody paper, loved butcher paper wrapper. You know, we didn't have a color printer, so it was like by default black and white uh, butcher yeah. paper wrappers. That someone said, you know, these are never going to work in a grocery store shelf, but they did. They worked in grocery stores for a couple of years yep. before we changed to the new packaging. Yep, Whole Foods yeah. put us on the shelves after six or eight months, and uh, it just. But it was about you know. From there. Yeah, it was. I mean, there were kind of two pieces of. You know, wanting to do something that meant something, mean, meaning the impact that we can create by producing and distributing plant-based proteins, mm-hmm. all the environmental sustainability, public health, animal welfare, all of those things. And that impact, and then there was also the impact of doing something that was ours. Mm-hmm. It goes back to, I think, again, that punk rock where you're like, you create something that is yours that you have control, or even just an entrepreneurship, small business perspective where you're you get to control what this thing is and so at that point we we in our lives i guess we were thinking we don't want to just be in a position where we're kind of Mm -hmm. under someone else's umbrella we want to have our own umbrella where we kind of can create the world we didn't know what that meant really (laughs) but but we felt like that was the direction we wanted to go in so seem so you obviously didn't have some uh 10-year master plan vision for your company it's safe to say that yeah. that wasn't the case. What were the culinary inspirations for some of the foods that you were doing? Um, sure. Yeah, what, what made you want to choose the kind of flavors that you have? Well, you know, our products were developed in the basement of my parents' house. Um, <laughs> I wish there was a visual on this. Yeah. Uh, Sedra is going to be a first for your podcast. I'm yeah, sure. she's changing uh, uh, diapers Arties, yeah. while talking. Wow, yeah. this is amazing. Yeah, you know, when you're this, this could be a whole other podcast uh, topic, but when you are uh, an entrepreneur and a parent, you have to be extraordinarily adept at a uh, multitasking. multitasking. <laughs> Hey, Mike, did you pack the diaper wipes? They were in there. I'm going to have to edit this part out. <laughs> ah, there they are. Down. I'm going to leave it in. Yeah. <laughs> real life, people, real life. Real li- this is real life of having a business and having a family, for real. <laughs> we, also, we also have a three-year-old at home. Yep. Um, so, yeah, the, the products were originally developed in a home kitchen in my parents' basement, and uh, the ingredients were sourced from our local co-op's bulk bin. So that has was, um, at the beginning, the benchmark for our ingredient inclusion, and it continues to be today. So we... Um, um, nothing that you'll find in our products is anything that couldn't be purchased at a, mm. you know, a local grocery store that's got a nice natural section. Um, nothing is created using equipment that you couldn't find in a basic kitchen. Um, and I think that people really resonate with that, or it's really resonating with people um, because they recognize it. Our, our ingredient labels are short; they're simple. Um, it's, you know, our chicken has six ingredients plus water. It's really basic stuff, but we've been able to put our hands on it in a way that has so much care and attention that, um, you know, the textures and the flavors are just like, right. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was, it was about creating the texture and the flavor with simple ingredients, mm. with a smaller list of ingredients, things that people recognize. And it was about pairing those two things as much as possible so that we could hit the mark of chicken and have people tell us, this is the best plant-based chicken I've ever had. Huh. But do it with six ingredients in a way that could be, if you wanted to, replicated in a home kitchen. Yeah, and you know, when, we were, when we were developing our products, we weren't thinking about price point. We weren't thinking about sourcing um, you know, mass quantities of product and doing it as cheaply as possible. We were really exclusively fo- focused on the taste and texture because it was just for our home use at that time. So we hmm. wanted something that made us, you know, gave us the most opportunity to have the most bitchin' proteins in our home kitchen as we yeah. could. Can we say bitchin' on your podcast? Yeah, you can say whatever you Good. want. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was, it was really for us, and it, we weren't focused 
focused on price or you know, any of those other considerations that some larger companies, when you get into their R&D kitchens, are all focused on. We were literally just focused on the flavor and the texture first and foremost. But what we've been able to do as we grow is mm. maintain that. I mean, that's the challenge of, of that growth is to maintain the, the sort of kitchen appeal of the products we create and continue to create products in that same way and then scale them so we can build more community, be more accessible to people, make high-quality plant-based protein accessible to more and more people. So mm -hmm. that's definitely a challenge, but it's, it's one we're, we get excited about because it's what makes our product exciting to people yeah. is your ability to say, oh, I know what all those things are, and it's this amazing experience, and my partner who's not vegetarian or vegan loves it, mm -hmm. all of those things kind of wrapped it together. Because, you know, in the, in the plant-based meat space, if you can even you know, call it, a, I guess it's a space now in itself, uh, it's a whole category. You have on the one hand, um, very technology driven food companies trying to replicate, um, mm -hmm. every aspect of what meat is, uh, using every possible ingredient and formulation on earth. Um, that'll give you the exact taste, texture, smell mm -hmm. of meat. Sure. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have, um, I guess, some of the older guard uh, in the plant-based food space that have been around 10, 20, 30 years, some really pioneering companies mm -hmm. um, that have done really, really interesting things, sometimes with simple ingredients, but sometimes with um, isolate proteins and other things. Where do you, I guess you fall in somewhere, not even in the middle, I think you are, like, I'm hearing you're just, your products are things anyone could possibly make in a kitchen. Yeah, I mean, all, all of our ingredients, if you had enough know-how and patience, you could make from scratch in your kitchen. So anything from the flour that we're using, the protein mm -hmm. source, you could do a very handmade method of that. Um, soy sauce, if you really wanted to, you could make your own soy sauce if you had enough time on your hands um, <laughs> and soybeans at your disposal. So that's kind of been the hallmark of how we select our ingredients. And, um, you know, we're, we don't use protein isolates of any kind. Um, we don't plan on adding isolates to our products. We really want to keep it um, a process and ingredients that people understand um, from start to finish. But it's threading and balancing. You know, we want, we want to create a product that's healthy for people, but we want to, you know, so we don't put oils in the, the main products now. It's not to say we won't ever put oil in a product, but, you know, at the same time, give you a meat experience that really resonates as a meat experience and kind of thread that line between health and experience mm -hmm. as much as we can kind of kind of walk it like a tightrope. <laughs> so the company's been around now officially for what, four years? Um, five. five. We're about to yeah. celebrate our, yeah, our fifth anniversary. Mm. And so how many years in did you realize that this was going to be more than uh, your fun uh, work-life balance project? <laughs> <laughs> Probably about two years in, um, about the time that our, our, our first child was born, we realized, all right, we've got a business and, uh, and, and a baby, and mm. how are we going to grow both at the same time? And so we brought on some um, strategic partners at that, that time um, people who had some great industry experience um, that, you know, we kept our team really small, but they, they helped us grow and helped support our growth. And, helped kind of reinforce and, yeah, the opportunity that was there. Reinforce right. with us that there was this opportunity there and, and that it, was a, it could be a bigger opportunity. Um, but it was always kind of a transitionary, you know, like most businesses. I mean, you ca you've got a day job, you start this thing, it's mm -hmm. little, and then little by little you realize mm -hmm. that you're going to pull away. But... Um, yeah, for a long time, we were still working our, our restaurant jobs, and, you know, I was bartending until 
3.34 in the morning and then waking up and going to the farmer's market the next day. Um, Mike held on to his daytime job, uh, night, night job a little bit <laughs> longer uh-huh. than yeah. I did. Um, but then eventually we realized we've got something and we can we can build this into something and people are believing in us and we you know it was time for us to really believe in but, ourselves. And I mean, and to be real, some of that is just financial. Yeah. Like when you're, run, when you're starting a business and you're not making a lot of money doing that, but it's passion and you're excited. And even if it's going great, that might not mean that there's a some financial return to replace whatever your other job was before that. Yeah, yeah. So, so our entire business was founded on $5,000. <laughs> like, that's what we, completely yeah. honest. We, put we in, took yeah. $2,500 a piece from our savings and put it into our business, and we kept funneling that back into the business for the first two, two and a half years, and that was the only investment that we had. Yeah. Um, so, so in that time period. We had to keep our other jobs. Yeah. We had a mortgage. We had car payments. <laughs> like, we're, you know, we're real people. We're not, um, you know, VC-funded mm-hmm. me- mega companies. So I think that that's, you know, an important thing for people who are listening and, and starting out is that, like, you don't have to have $400 million in investment to do this. As you started to realize that you had um, a real business here and, and you were starting to go beyond Asheville mm-hmm. and there was potential to go beyond Asheville, um, as two people who didn't have, you know, ten, twenty-year career in the CPG space, um, right. how did you approach sort of learning and growing? Because I can imagine that must be a steep learn- sure. learning curve yeah. for both of you. We ask I, questions. Yeah, I mean, I think we've we've always been really open about the things we don't know, mm-hmm. and looking around kind of for resources in people or information to help us figure out how to understand something. Um, you know, whether that's the basics of figuring out like gross margin and pricing and all of that, where, you know, I mean, <laughs> working, we worked with local grocery stores in Nashville to figure, to start to figure that out. I mean, we had a local grocery store talk to us about, the story is great. yeah, I mean, you know, they basically, we had a farmer's market product and within a month there was a local grocery store looking for local products. Sager went in for a meeting with the grocery buyer and he basically like walked you through kind of well, like we need this much margin and you guys are selling it at the farmer's market for this so we could do this and it would be this price mm-hmm. and and that would work for us and we kind of looked at it based on the numbers that we had done and it made sense on our side from what we could tell in the first two months of business yeah. and just from that from from the beginning there it was continuing to go out and looking at you know like there, we did a program called scale up which was funded through the SBA within the first couple of years. We did another program with a mentorship called Elevate hmm. that was based on a program that's out of MIT that they like replicated in other cities. We did that in Asheville, um, bringing people onto our team. Uh, Cheryl, who's uh, like our third kind of founder on our founding team. And, um, you know, she has that experience. You mm-hmm. know, she's been with other CPG companies, food and beverage. So bringing in that resource and building it off of like what we were creating with the brand and the products and then bring that information. But, you know, it's, I won't say we weren't lucky too. Mm-hmm. timing and, you know, taking advantage of things like VegFest to yeah. expand from, to expand in the Southeast. That was a major um, like growth driver for us because, and we just kind of discovered the, the VegFest in Charlotte within the first year of, of having the business did that were blown away by the experience of doing that and then just started looking for more. And we would go to cities and do a veg fest. We didn't have any stores. You know, we went to the, the, the Triangle region in North Carolina, um, did the veg fest, met a Whole Foods buyer at the veg fest, got an order from Whole Foods like two days later for that store in the Raleigh area, you know, went around to a couple other stores on that little road trip and got into two more independent stores. And for the first couple of years, we just kind of kept doing that. Go to Atlanta, do the same thing. Go to wherever else in the southeast and kind of replicate the same thing. In this uh, 
in this day and age, in the last five years, we've seen so much growth in the space. Companies coming in with off the gate with uh, five, ten million dollars in investment, sometimes much, much more. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people assume that the the companies that have grown without any outside funding and achieved distribution at the level that you have could only do that 10, 20 years ago. Um, and in this day and age, you can't do it without money. Mm -hmm. um, I guess you're an example of how that is possible, and it could possibly be because that's the only way you knew how to grow a business. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it, it, um, it fits with our roots. It fits mm -hmm. with that, you know, our approach was always, I mean, it's taken us a while to kind of think, not think, do it yourself first, you know, and, and, and we still like to have that instinct behind what we do. So in those early years, it was really, there was not really a thought about, you know, going out and raising millions of dollars. It was about growing what we were doing ourselves. Mm -hmm. That was just where our instinct was. But I think it served us well because we weren't taking on lots of investors really early on or building up a huge pile of debt. You know, we were very bootstrapped by the nature of our kind of ethos. Mm -hmm. And we were able to prove the concept of what No Evil Foods was without throwing tons and tons of money into it. And I think over time, that's going to prove to be better for us as founders of the company and, and better for the brand and the business and what we're trying to achieve, too, because we've, it's, we've established this foundation without necessarily going through that, going the route of five or ten or more million mm -hmm. in investment. So you finally did raise a small seed round, and mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> you're potentially going to raise more money now. Um, Walk me through kind of your decision making about or your, or your milestones and when you decided that that was necessary. Was it uh, because now you've got deals like you're in Walmart, you're in Wegmans, you're in, maybe mm -hmm. you can tell us more about your distribution. But sure. um, let's start with the seed round. When did that happen and what's next when it comes to expansion and growth uh, as sure. relates to fundraising? Yeah. Um, so the seed round kind of spread across. The first, I guess the first half of 2018. Um, and it was, we went through a lot of thinking. So we've grown the business in this incubator space in Asheville that's really amazing, but we obviously need to grow out, needed to grow out of it. And so we spent a lot of time thinking about, I think it's, it's also unique for a, a CPG brand to some extent to be self-manufactured rather than to be co-manufactured. Mm. Um, but we had really been building expertise in how to make our products and you know, what those processes looked like for a number of years because that's where we started with self-manufacture. Um, you know, in addition to that, we, so we did a lot of thinking around where do we want to grow to? And we really felt like for a couple of different reasons, one was... Uh, controlling quality of the product, you know, in our own facility. It was also about controlling innovation and being able to innovate more quickly and bring those products to market in kind of new and different ways, like not necessarily having a new product and sending it out to 5,000 stores, but starting out with, you know, we've got this new product. Maybe it's kind of thinking about um, breweries and they do like special releases and seasonal products and things like that. We wanted to kind of capture that or like the butcher shop feel mm. a little bit in our product line and be able to special release and limit release and do that. And we felt like we would have a lot more control over that if we had at least our own facility starting out. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe co-manufacturing would come in later down the road to mm -hmm. kind of grow the business more. Um, so when we were doing that thinking and getting to the place where we, we do want to have our own facility, we also really want to build community in Asheville where we're from give people good jobs, you know, good wages, create that there. That's kind of where the fundraising came in. It was mm -hmm. like, okay, we're going to do this. This is the point at which we need to kind of make that leap into that world of 
capital. Got it. And so you've now uh, are ready to move into your new um, facility. Mm -hmm. So it's like fifteen thousand square foot yep. compared to what yeah. you have now, which is <laughs> it's about a thousand total, give or take. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. And you're still managing to, to. Are you managing to meet the demand from all your? Oh, you're trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're we're doing our best. We're doing our best. It's uh, it's it's. A, I mean, our operations team. I, we've talked to some folks. We've had some folks that have either consulted or kind of actually really been on our team on the operations side in the last year to help us not only build out the plan for the new facility. So that again goes back to the sort of how do you figure out how to do this? You know, looking for those resources. But we those folks have been totally impressed with what we've done in the in the incubator space. You know, we've grown the business from in 2018 from 200 stores to 1,400 stores, all in this tiny little space. So um, they've been really impressed with that. But the new facility gives us just such a such a jump to go from basically 15 times the square footage. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's even you know even with all the brains in the room, sometimes it's hard to really see exactly. You know, it's exciting we get you know to see where that's going to take. us. And then us. you have equipment costs and all kinds of sure. uh, yeah. added. Uh, Headaches, I'm sure, to deal with now. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, that part of it is is actually. I mean, it's really exciting for me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's challenging. Um, but again, you know, we've just brought in a, a plant manager to our team who's got some really great experience. So, going back to being honest with yourself about what you don't know. Mm. You know, as you know, if you have a great idea and create, create this great business and continue to as a as a founder or CEO drive what that business is and what it what it becomes. You also have to be really honest about what is not something that you either have the expertise to do mm -hmm. or maybe don't want to be the person who's, you know, and try to figure out bringing in those people to help you execute the vision of what you're trying to create. Yeah. yeah. And so in, in your um, journeys out there um, from being uh, this, this sort of indie brand that's now out potentially talking to uh, investors for uh, another round what how do you how do you tell your story to investors who some of whom may not understand um, I think they would be ignorant to not understand your brand and and why you stand apart not just because of your brand but your products mm -hmm. um, and the special space that you occupy on shelves that is unique and unlike most other products um, what are those conversations like? Do you get a lot of pushback for being too edgy at times? or um, mm -hmm. um, And also, what are they looking at in terms of growth and how much direction do they want to give you versus you kind of steering the ship yourself? Um, I know there was a bunch of questions <laughs> there, but my basic sure. question yeah. is really about how your conversations have been with, with, uh, with, with investors as it relates to your products, your brand, and where you want to take the company. Mm hmm you know, for the for the for the seed fundraising round, yeah. I think it was you know we worked with um, you know some friends and family and some plant based investors that were for the most part on the same page with us, and that is a really great way. In the same way that I feel like we've grown the brand, where our bigger goal is accessibility for lots of people. We want to bring good plant based proteins to lots of people, so we're not solely focused on the vegan and vegetarian customer. We really want to branch that out, but we can also you know we can grow with that customer in mm -hmm. a sense that they're going to be the initial excited enthusiastic customer and then we can grow with them to reach other people in the investment world i've kind of felt a similar thing where you know in the early stages you know the um the plant-based investor groups are on the same page with us and they they can kind of connect with who we are as a brand the products that we make 
and then we can build on top of that as we create more excitement around. We prove the concept more and more. If there are people who might think, I mean, the, the conversations vary a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so if there's someone who's thinking like, oh, that's too edgy or something else along those lines, I think we continue to prove the concept by being in stores like Ingalls and selling mm -hmm. well and being in Wegmans and selling well. So every little in Walmart and having Walmart be enthusiastic about growing to more stores this year, all of those things kind of, they, they contradict someone saying, oh, that's not, you know, that's too, too edgy or too different or I don't I know. I guess your success and your numbers and the popularity of your products and the demand for it basically tell the story. Mm. So it just doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we consistently prove people wrong. Um, mm -hmm. We have had a few retailers wonder about our name in particular. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people wonder about our name, and it means a lot of different things to different people, and I think in that way it works really well. Um, you know, to us it means an overarching do no evil, which is where the origins of the name comes from. And it's how it steers and drives our business from how we source our ingredients to how we, you know, treat our employees like our family to, um, you know, how we partner with our communities. And I think once we explain that to the retailers and it's not um, a finger pointing um, righteous standpoint, um, mm -hmm. people really respect where we're coming from and, uh, and that we're trying to be inclusive. And, and they, they respond to that instead of um, react to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've had we've had skepticism from, I won't name the store, but we had a buyer in a store that was kind of skeptical of, you know, the brand mm. and, you know, but they just, you know, they still decided they, they took one of our four products instead of all four. And literally within a month of that product being in the store and seeing uh, like a, an interview with Sadra from a uh, trade Street show. Navigator, yeah. yeah. They saw an interview with Sadra. Mm. They were on the phone wanting the other three SKUs in like a month. <laughs> and we, you know, we, honestly, we had to, we had to, we had to slow it in launching it. You know, but it goes back to what you're saying is that sort of the product proves mm -hmm. itself or the brand proves itself. Yeah. Yeah. So let's uh, let's sort of shift from uh, all the, the businessy investment talk to uh, uh, to what you kind of believe in. I know we touched on it a little bit in the beginning, but I to me, no evil foods is much more than a food company. And it may be strange to say that because you are a food company. But what I mean by that is... Um, it seems like you're built on these values um, that have stuck with you over the past five years. And those values extend beyond the impact that your food can have. And I hear it from how you, you, you mentioned about how you treat your employees or the causes that you support. And uh, some of it shows through your social media. Um, I think your packaging is another example of that. It's that you're beyond just, hey, here's my amazing sausage. Um, yes, there's an amazing sausage, but we have a much bigger story to tell, starting from the packaging to the causes that you believe in. Mm -hmm. How important is that to you? Um, and I don't want to say to the brand because that makes it seem like it's it's, mm -hmm. sure. it's like a strategy or something. Well, I think you can say the brand because we are the brand. Um, we, mm -hmm. we we really are. It's it's when you said earlier that you know the authentic authenticity comes through that's because it's us it's, we're still the ones that are very involved in the day to day and how we communicate with our audience and the messaging that we put out there and so you know for us it really is more than a food product because we spend so much time on running this business we take time away from our family to run this business um, so it needs to be something that really fuels us as, and is important to us in order for us to make those sacrifices so um, I don't think you can really separate those two things um, at least 
not in this stage of our growth. We're still really involved and hands-on. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's we've always felt like it's important, even from early on, that we have, you know, whatever platform we have. I mean, and I used to treat a band this way. You know, you get this time on a stage to say something. Mm-hmm. You know, however many people there are there, those are the, you can reach those people. That was always my goal. It was like, how can we connect with these people? And it's still our goal with, we, Sadra says, it's, it's cheesy, but our brand is our band. And we approach it the very same way. It's like, how do we connect? How do we, you know, and how do we connect based around things that we really care about? So whether it's the product or the compostable packaging, because we actually literally care about the, the, the waste that's created and have a big three-bin compost thing in our backyard and want to be able to put the boxes in that compost bin or the social issues that actually mean, really mean something to us. And we think, like, we've got this platform. Let's use it. If something happens... Um, in the world that we feel really strongly about, why should we separate that from No Evil Foods? Because mm-hmm. No Evil Foods is who we are, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, and there's just value to us in terms of, I don't even know how to say it, in ter- as people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is to create something worthwhile. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. I mean, I think that we have created an opportunity for ourselves to have a bigger impact than offering great and healthy food choices. And so, like you said, it is more than a food brand. Um, we, Because we have this platform um, and because it's so much a reflection of us, we have the opportunity to share other issues that we find to be really important, whether it's our sustainability issues um, that we believe that animal agriculture creates um, you know, climate change uh, implications and that our products can help counteract that or whether it means that our packaging is committed to being compostable at a home compostable system versus having to go to a facility that isn't accessible to everyone or that we're putting our products in stores like Walmart to help make plant-based proteins more accessible to people who don't live close to a Whole Foods or, you know, another natural grocer. Um, we, we want to make those connections and we use food as our, our, our way to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we kind of, and I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot more work to do. So, I mean, we're still, we're still on the scale of things, a small company. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about being an active brand, meaning like we have these mission pillars of environmental sustainability, public health, animal welfare, trying to be more active around issues connected to those, um, you know, like one of them would be food deserts. Yeah. And we've done some work with an organization in Chattanooga that has been doing, they do these big potluck meals in underserved communities and they're all plant-based. So we donate product to them to do these meals, to bring better quality plant-based foods to communities that may not have easy access to it. And so it's trying to find ways to not just say, hey, if you buy this product, you're sort of fueling the mission. But how can we go beyond that to really address issues that are connected to that mission? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty bold because, of course, the product itself is, is doing all, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is sell more plant meat <laughs> and you're already, you know, solving some of the biggest, helping to solve some of the, the biggest challenges we're facing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, environmentally, as you pointed out, as well as from human health standpoint, and, mm-hmm. and of course, not to mention uh, unnecessary torture and slaughter of animals in factory farms (laughs) small Um, small side note uh, yeah side note people in (laughs) case you 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 haven't thought about that but um um so you know all your you you sell more of your products and you Mm -hmm. get into more stores and you expand more you can sit back and you don't you don't really need to do much more um, but see, you're wrong because we do. Like for okay, for, I mean, <laughs> for us, you said like we don't have to, but I, I don't think that we we don't believe that we mm-hmm. have that luxury, so to speak, to not do that. Like mm-hmm. that is that is our like moral imperative to yeah. do more, and that's just how we've always been. Um, we we might kill ourselves trying to do it, but like we've. <laughs> 
we, we have to do more. Um, and I think that we can lead by example and, and hopefully, you know, we're a small brand, but if we can inspire other small brands like us to kind of build that in from the beginning yeah. um, and continue to, to do that as we grow, uh, maybe we can inspire the larger brands to try to keep up with us, you know, um, yeah. if, if I think we can't not do it. And I think it's also, it's, it's proven when we do it, you know, when we have a voice and the passion that that uh, or the way that it resonates with, with people buying our product, you know, on social media or in person, you know, there, I think there's more and more evidence that people want more, you know, not that we're following this like a strategy, but people do want to see more from the products that they buy. Mm. They want more than just the product. They want to know the ins and outs of, of, of everything about it. And so if it kind of goes back to that whole, is it too edgy, is it whatever, you know, the more we do it, the more we can show that this is actually resonating more with consumers, yeah. you know, from, a, from that retailer perspective or the investor perspective, then we continue to prove that people, this is what, we're not doing something just for, uh, um, we're not trying to be difficult or cause trouble. Yeah, yeah. We're actually trying to do something that serves two purposes. It, it actually might make the world better and it actually will connect with consumers and get them to buy the product too. <laughs> I like the, you know, a lot of, a lot of brands, um, they think of like, who's my target customer and, you know, what the demo and who's, who's going to typically pick up our packaging mm -hmm. and they design their logos and colors of their packaging all depending on who, what other people yeah. tell them uh, would resonate with who their end customer should or shouldn't be or could be. Um, yeah, we don't do any of that. <laughs> I mean, I won't say you can't ignore no, it. No, no, no. You, I mean, you like, can't ignore it, but I mean, how many times have we heard from marketing people that our packaging is too busy and our messaging yeah. hierarchy is all out of whack? And you just have to temper it with what you feel in, right. your, in your heart, what your passion is. It doesn't is, mean so. you don't make compromises, but you really, you have to, for us, we've got to still feel 100% about the packages. And if that means saying no to someone who, you know, on paper knows more than us about marketing, mm. then that's what we do. But um, we've proven that. I mean, like yeah. in, the, in, in four or five years or whatever, you know, we've proven proven, you know, background or not, that, like, our marketing strategy works. Yeah. <laughs> strategy. Whatever you want to call it. And, yeah. like, and I think it's always been that we listen to what people, we listen to experts, we listen to that, and then we temper yeah. it against what we really feel about what's right for Noable Foods. Yeah. yeah. I think of your, I mean, this is just how I view it. I think of your, your, your strategy, in quotes, um, and I think it comes across, or your, or your sort of your your value system that you're based on is that you've got these um, flavor forward um, um, sort of chef inspired plant be meats which is very unique in this space and there are not many companies out there that can claim that with very few ingredients you mentioned that earlier um, so you've got that product right and then that product is wrapped in the personality of two of these founders who um, is now kind of um, is infused into the name No Evil Foods and the brand and what it stands for, and increasingly, what I I get as as a someone sitting on the outside looking at what you're doing is you're using your growth and your success of your products um, and, and the increased distribution that you have, the space on your packaging, the space on social media, the audience you've gathered, the loyal customers that you have. To, to tell a story, uh, tell mm -hmm. a story about the things that you believe in, the causes that you support. And like you mentioned earlier, like a lot of responsible bands and celebrities do, is you're, they're known for their talent or their music or their acting or whatever it may mm -hmm. be. And then they use that platform to do much more. And I feel like you're just, you just happen to have food as your as your 
product. You could have yeah. very well been a band. <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah, no, I probably think can still be one. You band. haven't heard me sing yet. <laughs> um, no, I think, and that's just. I mean, and that is. I think I naturally approached it that way. Yeah. Not at the beginning thinking about it, but no, just no, no, in yeah. The, yeah in the in the history in in my experience. Being in a band and always being more or less the one or one of the people who was sort of driving the, what are we doing, you know, booking the tours, yeah. organizing things, making sure that t-shirts were printed and posters, all that stuff got done. When we got into this, I think it was just naturally the same, the same yeah. kind of, and that's also how it keeps us passionate about what we're doing, yeah. is that there is that, there's, there's a lot underneath the, you know, the, the product. Yeah. There's a lot more to it. And yeah. I think culturally, we're in a really interesting space, too, where people are recognizing food in different ways than they used to. Um, mm. And, you know, chefs are getting, uh, you know, there's celebrity chefs in ways that, that there weren't even 10 years ago. And so I think people are looking at food and creators of food in similar ways mm. as they are other celebrities or influential people. Um, and so I think it's sort of a natural progression to have a food brand step into that space as well mm-hmm. um, and continue that sort of... Um, place of influence from from a brand uh, and I think that is like a, just a natural tr- transition and, and progression of, of the way the culture is shifting yeah and uh, wh- wh- who do you s- I, I don't know if you know this or what are your typical customers like like what do you hear from them who is your typical customer one in terms of um, of that that the type of food that they're into? I mean, are they largely not vegan, vegetarian? Um, the fact that you're in Walmart, of course, it's more than vegans buying a product. Um, and then secondly, um, do they resonate with this brand? Or like, how, how did they react to some of your your messaging or your mm-hmm. Instagram sure. posts that, that are pretty opinionated at times, and, and that's what makes you you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I don't know if there's a typical... Mm-hmm. person who's buying our food it's kind of um you know if you look at the stats on instagram for instance you're getting mostly 24 to 35 year old females but is that a symptom of who's using the platform or is that a symptom of who's buying the product so it's a little hard to tell um when we do direct sampling and events mm-hmm. like farmers markets and veg fest we were really surprised to see an older demographic coming up and um you know responding to our products uh people who are maybe more concerned about their health impact than mm-hmm. animal welfare or environment um, so I think that it is a pretty broad um, spectrum of people who are buying. And we are seeing a lot of people who don't exclusively identify as vegan or even vegetarian. Um, people who are really into the flexitarian, Meatless Monday movements. And I think that we have a really great product that people can kind of supplement their ordinary uh, meal plans with. And, uh, you know, it's maybe not an everyday food, but it's a sometimes food. And they're reaching for it to um, give that meaty texture to the days that they decide to abstain from traditional proteins. So mm-hmm. I think it is kind of broad spectrum. Um, as far as how people are reacting, overwhelmingly positive. Um, you know, on social media, we do have a lot of opinions, um, and some of them, you know, the majority of them are very well received, and people are very supportive of our stance and our viewpoint. And and the fact that we have and one. The, and the yeah. fact that we have one. <laughs> Occasionally, there are people who disagree and say mm-hmm. that a food brand shouldn't be political, and they say, "Hey, I thought you were a food brand. What are you doing making this statement?" And we, you know, we don't kind of. Um, communicate with the trolls, but we do try to make, keep the line of communication open. So if there is someone that's really questioning our standpoint, we respond back. And, you know, I think that that's part of, if you put a statement out there, it's part of putting that statement out there is, is backing it up as well. And so I think you can't back down to the people who challenge you. Um, even in a social media platform, you've got to be, you know, cautious how you do it. But I think that, you know, if you put it out there, you've got to be ready to back it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I've, I've seen that conversation turn into something even more valuable, you know, with the right conversation with someone on social media, or even the conversation develops among people who, who are enthusiastic about our product, and you see it kind of, kind of work itself out. And yeah, our, our customer base has always been a lot broader than we maybe expected on day one from age groups. Um, and I think that partially has a lot to do with the different appeals to choosing a plant-based protein. Mm. Different people choose it for different reasons and you can kind of connect on different levels, whether it's health or environment or uh, someone who's very athletic looking for lots of protein or um, someone who is very focused on the animal welfare issue and is focused on it for that reason. So it's really kind of been, it's always been kind of fun uh, in a way when you're when you're doing face-to-face -face sampling to try yeah. to kind of figure out reminds me a little bit of waiting tables years ago and like trying to figure out the table and like what they wanted to eat and, and things like that and it's like what is this person like how can I kind of connect with them about why this is a good choice to make mm. yeah, yeah you have to read your audience and mm -hmm. um, figure out you know there's there's no wrong reason to eat more plants you know so you kind of have to figure out all right what's the right reason for this person how can I connect with them yeah. um, help them take the first step yeah yeah yeah, because we're always trying to create that bridge. We don't want to be looking our noses down to anyone um, because they aren't exclusively vegan or vegetarian. We mm -hmm. really want to support the people who are just trying it every once in a while or even just considering trying it. We want to make it seem accessible and easy for them and that this is a welcome space. Um, so we really want to create a bridge and, and start that conversation and really cheer people on along the way. I think that's something that people find really engaging about our packaging is that inside when you start to open them up there's a little environmental high five and yeah. it's, so it's you know they they buy the product that's the first step that's great but they get it home they open it up and then they you know we're there kind of cheering them on mm -hmm. and that that just furthers their support and engagement with our brand and reinforces that they've done something good they've done something really positive um and I, and I think that people want that. They want to know that their choices are being sort of recognized. Um, and if we can communicate that through a package, then, then we're doing a good job. Yeah. And now, what do you think about what's happening now um, culturally in the U.S. and, and around the world as, as plant-based meats and um, um, cutting down on meat consumption is, is becoming more widely, widely known, uh, thankfully, um, and people start to shift their diets um, yeah, how do you view that? Because I'm sure you've been part of this space as long, if not, not probably longer than I have. Um, and it, something's really changed in the last few years. Um, and you're now at the forefront leading the charge in your own unique way. Um, yeah, how do, you, how do you fit into this larger cultural kind of uh, uh, evolution that's happening at the moment? Or do you even that's think big, about that's this? A big question. <laughs> I mean... I don't know. Back to like our, our pseudo strategy. I think that we just keep trying to be the best brand that we can be. And, mm. and I think looking at it from, and we still sometimes feel like we're on the outside because we're such a tiny brand yeah. in comparison to some of the, the big players that are out there. Um, and we're, we're still kind of just waiting for the main stage, I think. And we're just going to keep doing what we can do um, as well as we can do it. And, you know, it, making the best choices that we can for our company because that is, you know, that's what keeps us passionate, like Mike said earlier. Um, but overall, I mean, I think from being part of it or being on the outside, I think it's freaking awesome to mm -hmm. see what's going on because it wasn't like I was raised a vegetarian. So the way things were in the early 80s were not the way things are now. And so it's pretty awesome to see all of the things that are changing and all of the new companies that are coming on. And I hope that it encourages people to have friendly competition in order to make better products. Um, mm -hmm. I think we're all trying to support each other, but I think because there's more and more people coming into the market, um, it's pushing us all to be better. And um, I think that's only going to help 
more people come to this sort of food and try it and have a good experience, whereas in the past they may have tried it and decided, eh, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> but I think because everyone is trying to be just that much better, that much more realistic, that much more appealing to different people, um, it's going to attract a larger number of people to this style of cuisine, and I think that's what really, we, we really want to see. Grow. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's exciting really right now. We're in... We're in kind of a rising tide lifts all boats mm-hmm. situation in the plant-based world right now, which, um, you know, I, e- even without that, I think the companies are um, supportive of each other because of the mission focus. Mm-hmm. So I've experienced that with lots of different companies in our category or space where, you know, you would think someone is a direct competitor and they're very, you know, they're very um, willing to communicate, talk to you, even help you figure out growth challenges, which is really amazing. And I hope that because we're all focused on achieving the same mission as the space gets bigger and there's money coming in and things are going to change probably, but I hope that we can continue to um, kind of keep that support there for the right reasons Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't become friendly competition to make better products to achieve that mission on a greater scale. But, but, you know, I hope that it doesn't get too, uh, too ugly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I'm sure when you looking back at your roots, right, and how you, you both really started, um, you've already come way further than you had imagined you would ever go. Um, but that being said, you're just kind of getting started. Um, and, you, you know, you, you have a shot now. You're at, that, you're at that part where you can, like, launch into space or continue doing what you're doing right now and it's very clear that you're going you're going big now and you're not you're not necessarily restricting yourselves without necessarily also losing yourself in the process mm-hmm. uh, and I think that that is um, I've always said this and I, I talk a lot about branding and marketing and uh, I try to do it in a sense that doesn't make it sound cheesy and, and contrived and uh, and too um, I don't know kind of too over uh, overthought through versus being authentic and and here's what's going to happen my my kind of prediction on the space is that as um the competition heats up and as not only do smaller plant-based startups raise more money and and get more investment and all that stuff as big food companies launch brands in the plant-based meat and other alternative space um Eventually, the market's just going to be flooded with products. It's not yet, but it will be flooded with products. And then the challenge is going to be, how do you stand out? Mm-hmm. And as someone who thinks about branding and marketing, well, it's no doubt you guys are going to stand out because no one is like you guys. So I think in that sense, you already have, um, I think, being yourselves, at least knowing who you are, having a personality, because that's what every brand is trying to get. Like, what is our personality? What are the personality traits of this brand? You already have it. And so if you can keep delivering on the product promise and you can keep um, finding new uh, buyers out there for your product and um, find improve your distribution and manufacturing capabilities, you just kind of have to stick at it and you're probably going to outlast most other brands in, in mm-hmm. this category. At least have a have a, a, an enough space where you, you've got a sizable business with, with great employees and, and making a big impact on the world. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I think I mean, we, that's our hope. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I think we, we have been, we talked a little bit earlier about timing. Mm-hmm. And I think we, you know, again, not strategic, but we've been lucky as far as how our business has evolved and grown um, in the time that it's done that. Because I think we do have, we kind of have that foot. In the, in the door, or however you want to say it, where we've established what No Evil Foods is, we've established this personality, um, and now it's about, you know, kind of 
maintaining that and having it reach more people. But we are, you know, in terms of the space, I feel like, I hope, just a little bit on the, on the other side of what could be a bigger wave of a lot of new products. Yeah. yeah. And so looking ahead, I mean, on the, um, without getting, you don't have to look too far ahead, but at least in the uh, next couple of months or years, what do you see happening from a product standpoint um, with No Evil Foods? Because I'm sure you have a lot of ideas. Um, it sounds like you're going to stick with your um, basic clean ingredient focus and mm-hmm. flavor forward focus. That's what makes you unique. Um, until you have to, you shouldn't change. So that's I'm, I'm giving you ideas now, but that's not <laughs> the point. Um, well, yeah, what's, what do you have planned product-wise in the coming weeks, months, and years ahead? Well, you know, we've, we've always had a lot of ideas, and because these... Gen- products, kind of the genesis of them were in a home kitchen. If I needed a product or a a flavor for a certain dish, I would just create it. So I've got a long list of um, innovation that we've been working on. And one of the biggest challenges we've had is um, having the time and the capacity to bring those items um, to market and and finances too. It it costs a lot to launch a new product. Um, But we're doing a lot too. But we're doing a lot, yeah. To get get there now with the new facility and, 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 uh, and capital to be able to realize these ideas faster. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, with the new facility, we've got an innovation kitchen space, which will allow me to continue to develop new products. Um, it looks kind of like a home kitchen. There's no fancy, you know, you know, bitey machines that tell you how to, you know, how the texture is or anything. Um, no white coats. It's just me and, and a bunch of, uh, no, no computer screens, no everywhere computer screens, you know, there's, there's a Vitamix and a Cuisinart, but, um, <laughs> But, um, you know, the first thing that you're going to see coming out of us is um, an entry into the shelf-stable space with a a jerky. So um, there have been a lot of companies right now that are introducing jerky, and we are going to be one of them. Um, We are going to be probably bringing that into our web store on our website um, in June, July, so sometime in the summer month, perfect for your road trips and hiking adventures and we're beta testing a bunch of those right now. Um, we've got four flavors that we're kind of testing out. Uh, the first that is a, a definite is a cherry teriyaki. Um, it's got some tart cherries in there. It's really, really nice um, tart sweet mix. Uh, pastrami, Bloody Mary jerky, and uh, an al pastor jerky. So some really different, unique flavor pro- pro- profiles that we don't see in the traditional jerky space or in the plant-based jerky space. So really yeah. excited about that. And then, you know, as our production gets online and our capacity continues to grow, we're going to be able to diversify our existing line um, in the sort of deli section of the store as well. And, and we'll probably be, re- be redu- introducing those in the fall um, for, for our 2020 release into the retail world. Yeah, but the, the jerky is, is particularly exciting for a number of reasons. I mean, for us to be able to bring our products to more, not just more people, but I guess more situations you know, having a shelf-stable product just opens up so much more opportunity for people to enjoy quality plant-based protein, you know, hiking, outdoors, picnics, traveling, anything, you know, something that you can just have with you and eat anytime. And still for us focusing on that meat experience from texture, taste, even visual aspects of the product to give people a connected experience. And, and it's always, I mean, we hadn't talked about this, but a lot of our thinking around No Evil Foods came back to when it comes to creating community, not having people feel like they're left out. And so I think oftentimes with, with, with um, plant-based proteins, whether it's a restaurant or a meal at home, somebody, somebody, if it, somebody feels left out of a meal or left out of a situation because they get the also-ran food or the side dishes or something like that. And so 
part of creating the experience around our products is about creating an, a, like an equal experience so everybody can share it and nobody feels like they were sort of exiled because they, mm. you know, they wanted a, a plant-based protein or something like that. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and aside from all the things Mike mentioned about, you know, what excites him about the jerky, again, our packaging is going to be really innovative. Um, we, to my knowledge, are introducing the first um, compostable packaging for a shelf-stable product um, that would be compostable in a home system. So, you know, the whole pack-it-in, pack-it-out thing when you're hiking, that's awesome. But if it catches in the wind and Mm -hmm. goes down a mountainside, you don't have to jump after it because (laughs) it will go back to the soil in uh, 12 to 18 months. So I'm really excited about bringing that to the market and uh, being a leader in that space as well. Wow. No, that's really exciting. I think this space definitely needs uh, innovation on that. And it's, it's, it's expensive, unfortunately, to do the right thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand why brands don't do it. Um, um, but it's amazing to see one that a brand like yours that is, that is relatively smaller compared to some of the bigger players attempting something like that. Um, when you kind of look ahead in terms of the company, what kind of impact? You know, I'm going to ask a simple question. What kind of impact do you want to have? That's really simple. <laughs> Quick answer. <laughs> you know, I think, I think for us right now, it's and not even not even right now. It's always been about um, how do we reach more people with what we're making and what we're trying to say. So we really just want to keep doing that. We want to keep finding ways to maintain the quality of what No Evil Foods is, and that's just not the product quality, but it's the brand and the message and the, all of the pieces of it. But bring that to more people. And that's where that accessibility kind of value comes comes into play. So I, I don't think it's anything complicated, really. I mean, we make decisions thinking about how our values are connected to that. Um, but it is really about how do we take this thing that we've created to more people because that's going to create more impact and, you know, hopefully make the world a little bit of a better place. Yeah, I think to give you a simple answer to your simple question, <laughs> it's uh, to do the most amount of good for the most amount of people um, and, and animals in the process um, mm-hmm. as we're able to. And I think that naturally the decisions that we make as a brand will enable us to do just that. And that's kind of exactly what No Evil is all about. It's just how do you do the most good? How do you make the best choices? Um, and I think inherently by being led by those values and um, driven by that mission, we will have the impact that we're desiring to have yeah and you know i asked this question of all my my podcast guests this is very forward looking um but you know the reason i then the question really is is if you succeed if no evil succeeds and not just you but other companies in the space and other people working to transform our food system are successful because you you probably know this as well as i and most of the listeners do is that we have a very short window of time to to fix the wrongs that we've done for the last 70 years or so with our food system specifically. And if you don't actually do something in the next 10 to 12 years, it'll be too late and we'll reach the point of no return environmentally. Um, And also, you know, you've also got the human health crisis looming and that's not getting, there doesn't seem to be a solution to that anytime soon. And uh, the the fact of the matter is still 99% of all meat, dairy and eggs come from factory farms. Um, And not just environmentally, but, but it, it, it's just the issues involved with that are just far too many for me to get into now as I ask this question. But my, So I give the year 2050 always. is that by 2050, either we're going to be, if you get it right, we're going to be in a great place in 2050 or at least in a much better place headed towards a, a different path. Or, but if you get it wrong, we're going to, yeah, we're going to be screwed. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it's over. It's game over for planet Earth and, and humanity on planet Earth, at least. 
um, or at least most of humanity. But the question really is, what if you get it right? If you succeed and others like you get it right, um, and you look ahead to the year 2050, what kind of um, what kind of food system do you envision? What kind of world do you see? What kind of world do you want to want to see Artie in <laughs> in 2050? It's um, a great question. I, you know, I think ideally it'd be great to say like we hope the whole world goes vegan. Um, I, I don't think that's a reality. And even though we strive for that because we think it's the best choice for a number of reasons, I think if people can commit to reducing their impact, mm -hmm. um, that is what I would like to see. I, I, you know. I, I might be a minority vegan in this thinking, but if people could be more in tune to where they're sourcing their meat, if they choose to make that choice, I would like them to be more connected to where it's coming from. And so I think in the future, people will reduce their meat. I would like to see the factory farm world go away <laughs> completely <laughs> and have people that are you know, dedicated to you know, keeping their meat lifestyle choosing it in a much more conscious way and being more connected, having a more localized food system um, and really, really reducing, um, dramatically reducing. And I think that's the only way that if we are able to get ourselves out of the situation that we're in, that will enable us to continue to succeed and continue to, to live on this planet. Um, mm -hmm. I think that you know, we need to make some dramatic shifts and then commit to um, even more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we've always had a realistic approach um, to how we try to connect with people with no able foods, which connects to this idea, is that you're not going to make a connection with someone who's never eaten a plant-based meat if, you just tell, if you're trying to get them to do an all-or-nothing switch. Mm -hmm. And so having a realistic approach to the next 10, 12, however many years out to 2050, um, in all aspects, meaning like re being realistic about the fact that this is a serious issue, but also being realistic about how do we connect with people about this issue, because scaring them is probably just going to make it worse. Mm -hmm. They're probably just going to cling to things that they love because of, because of that fear. So figuring out how to do those two things at the same time is, I think is a big challenge for the people in our industry who, who are kind of already in that mindset of like, we need to do something and we're trying to do something, but how do we get through to people who don't have that mindset yet without them just kind of uh, blocking us out, yeah. basically? Because I think there's a big chance that that could happen. They could just say, you know, we're not listening to that or that's too scary to think about <laughs> and we'll just go down that bad path and continue to go down it. So I think we have to be really realistic about how to get through to those people, even if it's baby steps faster or something like that. But um, it's a big challenge for all of us, really, because yeah. could, you could just get shut out. Yeah, I think we're going to have more impact by having the larger population decrease their consumption than trying to convince everybody to have a, a complete shift. So sure. I think, you know, just yeah. piggybacking on what you said, I think it's it's how do we make those little changes um, become permanent? How do we make uh, that become their new routine and make that seem natural to them um, instead of having them do a complete complete shift? And make people feel good about it. Yeah. Feel feel like congratulated, feel high-fived. I mean, that was, oh, we spent so much time on that with the packaging where it was like, <laughs> we don't want to point fingers at people. We want people to feel like we're congratulating them for doing something good. And yeah. it should always be that kind of mindset. Even if it's just one meal, yeah. I think yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's where the change starts. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's important to be, you know, speak your mind, but stay positive. I think we can get a lot of uh, things done if you, people just follow those two simple rules. Yeah. And, Try to do the right thing, um, but instead of criticizing, try to focus on the positives and celebrating the good in people and the good that they can do by mm -hmm. even just one meal yep. or, uh, or trying your product once. So, uh, Sadra and Mike, this has been um, a fun conversation. I, mean, I look forward to following your journey. It's, I think it's just, as I said, um, getting ready for uh, 
the major label time <laughs> for you guys. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm excited to see where this goes next and um, and try some of your new products as well. But uh, wish you both uh, the best uh, in the coming months and years. And I'm sure we'll talk again very soon. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so thank much. Thank you for having us. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. The headlines remind us daily. The world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.